Welcome to Present Company, the Netflix podcast that brings you dynamic conversations with exceptional people behind your favorite series, films, documentaries, and specials. I'm your host, Krista Smith. For years, I was Vanity Fair's ambassador to Hollywood, interviewing countless actors as well as creatives and authorities across the spectrum. My passion is talent, any form of it. How do you know you have it? How do you cultivate it? How do you protect it? And also, I want to get to the heart of what drives it. On this podcast, I'll be talking to people in Hollywood and far beyond. Thank you for joining me. It's a real pleasure to bring you today's interview with young British breakout Emma Corrin. Her acting career had barely begun when lightning struck and she landed the part of Princess Diana in The Crown, one of the most iconic women of the modern age. Emma inhabited this role so completely, from capturing Diana's innate vulnerability and quiet strength to mastering her every mannerism, to the intonation of her voice. It's a stunning achievement, one that has wowed audiences and critics. In this interview, you'll hear her talk about her nail-biting audition process, her intensive research and preparation, and her experiences on set. So enjoy. Here is the delightful Emma Corrin. Welcome, Emma. It's lovely to meet you via, via Zoom here from L.A. and you in London. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to chat. People love the season. They love your portrayal of Diana. I mean, I, I it's been a while since I've seen uh, an actor so embraced right out of the gate. But I want to go back a little bit because you were at university. Mm-hmm. You were studying. You were participating in plays. Tell me about how this moment happened and where you were in your life when you got this call to come in and audition. At that stage, I was I hadn't done any professional acting work, really. I was out of uni. I signed with my agent after she saw me in a showcase at the end of um, my time there. And um, I remember the hardest thing about getting an agent was um, once I was working with, with Maya was um, I'd only done theatre work, as you said. And so transitioning to then like doing tapes for screen work was so like such a challenge and something I just hadn't really anticipated the difference between what is required for screen versus versus stage. Um, and then, yeah, I moved to London. I was sort of sofa surfing, um, trying to find a place to live. And I was working a couple of jobs um, and auditioning for things. I got a bit part in Granchester, which is a British series on ITV. Oh, I'm and well then, aware of Granchester. Yeah, it's so great. <laughs> Honestly, I was such a fan before I had my um, little stint. Um, and then, yeah, and it was that summer, so the summer of 2018, and I got a call from Maya and she said, um, uh, the casting team on The Crown are aware of you. I'd done some auditions for them, I think, before. And they've asked you to come in and help read, read in. They are casting Camilla for season three and they've they're doing chemistry reads for Camilla and they need you to read opposite as Diana but it's like it's not an audition it doesn't mean they're interested in you it's just you they've asked you to help out um for the day you'll be paid and you know you don't need to learn the lines you're just going to be off camera but we kind of thought about it very strategically because we thought oh when they come to cast it this could be a good fit we could kind of see it um but I mean very in our far off dreams kind of way and so I guess I just treated it like an audition. And so I learned 
all the lines and I um, prepared, I did a lot of research, I did some voice work with my mum who's a speech therapist to try and get her voice down and um, went in that day and it was me and uh, a room full of all the directors and producers of the show which was so intimidating. Although actually weirdly for me I was so new that it really wasn't intimidating because I didn't know who any of them were. <laughs> I remember Maya calling me in the morning being like, are you ready for your meeting? Like, um, yeah, how are you feeling about it? Just, I've just, I've got the names of everyone who'll be in the room. So I thought I'd just let you know who they are. She started reeling off these names and I was like, I, I don't know who any of these people are. <laughs> and she was like, okay, that's probably a good thing. Um, so you won't scare yourself. Um, yeah, and I went in and I had the best time uh, and met Josh and I read with Emerald, who was one of the Camillas, and it was the lunch scene that we read, which was um, kind of lovely and nostalgic when we revisited that filming. Um, and it was a really great experience. I learned a lot and they ended up putting me in front of the camera and um, working with me a bit on the scenes, which which um, was, was just a brilliant experience. And then it was only... In, about eight months later that we got a call saying, would you like to come on, we'd like you to come and audition for, for Diana. And it had, um, which was an incredible moment. And um, yeah, I remember I got a bit of the, got a bit of the script then and was so excited by it and spent an afternoon with Ben Karen and Peter Morgan in a room, just chatting about Diana. I just remember us talking for a long time about her. And um, then I did some singing for them, which was funny. Yeah, it was. It's very strange looking back on these things, isn't it? In hindsight, because I remember feeling so much in the moment, and um, I feel like with time, it's all it all becomes very rose tinted. But um, I was I was nervous and I was scared. I could kind of sense what a phenomenal role this would be and what a challenge it would be, and that's the kind of thing that I'm really drawn to as an actor. And so, it, I just the closer I got, the more I was terrified because I was kind of getting attached, you know, it's kind of that thing of like falling in love. Um, yeah. Yeah. What did you do in that eight months? What were you thinking about? But it was so weird. Honestly, it's such a saga. I mean, basically in that eight months, we kept hearing bits and bobs from them. So I remember they checked my availability for the part quite a lot, which um, is always a sign of a considerable interest, I think. And then there were just things I heard from people. I, I was working on a show called Pennyworth, so luckily I was busy. But I remember when we had the cast meal for that, some of the um, like production team got quite drunk and they started talking about The Crown and they were like, oh, like we like congratulations about that. And I was, I said, sorry, what? And I mean, yeah, and, the, and they were like, oh, we heard about, um, about the role, Diana. And I was like, I, there's nothing to tell. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And they looked very sheepish. And it was very strange. It kind of like, there were like little bits of things that like, like supporting actors would come up to me and say things like, oh, I had a friend who, who knows the cast director on The Crown. And oh, I heard about, it's, I was, and I was just there thinking, I've, I haven't heard anything about anything. Um, suddenly yeah. it becomes a very small world. I often think that with these things and that everyone knows everyone suddenly and you think, oh God, it's terrifying. Yeah. Um, okay, so now now you get the call, and I imagine it's so human. It, like you said, you, the pressure builds. Like, how did you stay grounded? Like, quell your fears and stay calm And as an actor? God, I think focusing on the work has always been really crucial to that, both before I got the role and afterwards. I just buried myself in research and in the script and in the words and in the character and kind of forced myself to forget that anything else mattered. 
Um, yeah, which is so much easier said than done. Oh my God, I don't think I did it very well at all. I mean, before I got the role, I was a complete wreck because I knew I was close. And that's the worst feeling because you suddenly realize how much is at stake and how much you could lose. Um, but I think that made me work harder and just, yeah. And just have fun. I think in the end, I remember after my last audition, I, a friend texted me saying, how'd it go? And I remember sending them a voice note and I said, you know what, even if it goes no further and this is, you know, this is the further this goes, if I don't get the part, I just had one of the best afternoons as an actor in my mm. entire life, in my career so far. I was in a room with Peter Morgan and Ben Karen and we just collaborated and talked and built characters together and talked about characters and talked about the work and it was the most inspiring afternoon and I really left and I thought you know what I even from that experience I can take away a lot um and I think after that I kind of just resigned myself to trying to let go a bit and have fun with the last few rounds of auditions and stuff um yeah mm. well you did a brilliant job and I, I think that the balance of of being so young and starting in your career and playing someone that is so revered and arguably one of the most famous women in the world, certainly the most photographed, and someone that everybody has feelings about that are still fresh. It's it's not it it still feels very very in the moment. You did a sublime job. I, I can't imagine anybody else playing her, to be honest. Um, you talk about research, mm. and I know that obviously there is a lot of endless photographs of her. Uh, mm. Not as much tape, but there are a couple of Diana in her own words and documentaries, mm. and you know, there's a plethora of, of material. But was there one particular photograph or one particular bit of an interview or something that really brought Diana into you and you're like oh that's it I've got it now that kind of yeah there was one documentary which was called in her own words and it's honestly all I really needed and I watched it before I went in to read help read in that very first time way before any audition or anything and I remember being so captivated by it. and I don't cry easily at things at books or films and I was an absolute tears by the end of it and it was just, it's something, it, it's the documentary in which she, she is narrating her own life story. And it's so beautiful. And there's just a, her voice has a tone to it and a very unique, she's a very unique way of speaking that kind of imbues a sadness because the way that she uses her voice drops at the end of each line. And it means that when she's narrating her life, it doesn't matter if she's narrating about the happiest day of her life, it's tinged with this sort of vulnerability and tragedy. And that really intrigued me because I was suddenly like, wow, well, I'm, I suddenly got this sense of her as at the same time being incredibly strong and obviously standing for so much and meaning so much to so many people and that making her powerful, but at the same time having this innate sadness and vulnerability that she also wore, I think, just as 
boldly as her strength and I think that made her so appealing to people and I was so I was so curious at those two traits which I think we tend to think about so in such binary ways like strength and vulnerability or either either or at any one time really living together within her at any given moment and it was really that documentary that gave me that sense and it's kind of the basis of any research that I did after that Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in your conversations with Peter, obviously, uh, talking about her, what was what was so important to to get right? And what were you scared of the two of you in, in those conversations? I'm curious to know what that dialogue was like about what you absolutely wanted to avoid and, and what was really important to hit on point. I think a lot of what Peter, Ben and I and Josh as well, after I've been cast, were, were, were talking about was for both Charles and Diana to not play the ending, we had to be constantly aware not to play the tragedy because otherwise this would become sort of unbearable to watch. And for instance, in episode six, when you see them at the happiest, you have to, we wanted people to genuinely believe in them at that point. Because obviously there were times when they were so happy. There must have been. And we, we really wanted to uh, portray that. And then I think... The bit that really of her that really intrigued me, I think, just because there's less coverage and less footage of it, is her youth. So when we meet her, and especially episode three, episode two and three at Balmoral, and then obviously the fairy tale episode, which I worked so, which me and Ben worked so so much on together. And it was uh, we talked a great deal about her youth and the fact that we really wanted to show that she went into this with such different expectations from the reality that she met on the other side. And yeah, I think we wanted to really communicate a sense of what she was, what she left behind her friends and her life and, you know, her Duran Duran posters and her, yeah. (laughs) One of my favorite scenes I remember was you roller skating in the pink. It was brilliant the way they did that because it really did capture the, you know, the just incongruous yeah. nature of what she was up against. Like she's this young girl. Yeah, exactly. It's her childishness. I mean, that's what everyone said. I've especially a lot of the um, the other cast. I know that. I mean, who. I mean, I can't, re- I can't, rem- I have no living memory of her, but I know Josh sort of remembers, but I mean, Helena and Collie and everyone who just, I remember saying she was a child. And I think that's what you want to communicate. But, yeah. And I think the roller, exactly the roller skating and the dancing with her friends and the just wanting to like talk to someone and the loneliness she feels and the way she deals with it, it, it communicates a sort of lost this feeling of her being so lost as a child is because they don't know how to, they just feel like they're missing something. Um, yeah. What was one of your favorite scenes to film, like that you were really looking forward to, that you knew was coming, and then it lived up to that expectation when you actually got to do it? Um, the dance scene where she loses herself in episode three. Um, yeah, I love that because... A lot of Diana's emotional journey in the series is very subtle and understated in the way we portray it, not only because that's in the writing, but also it's the style of the crown. Um, 
I've got a separate story that I, I can share, which is um, really one of the greatest lessons I learned working on the show, which is just like to not do anything, to not act. <laughs> I remember once having a scene where I had to look out a window and I think after Charles, after we had an argument and Jess Hobbs, who was directing that episode, we'd done a few takes and then she said, like, why don't you just try when we don't move your face? <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I tried it and she was like, do you want to watch it back? And I watched it back and it communicated so much, even though I did nothing and it blew my mind. But the only scene that wasn't really like that is when Diana loses her mind and loses herself and just dances in episode three to um, Elton John. And it was a kind of expression that I can really relate to because I love dancing in that way. And it was just really great to feel like she was letting go and kind of raging in her own way. Yeah. Mm. And was there one that was particularly challenging that you were, you know, kind of fearing going into that day to, to film? Yeah, Josh and I had struggled a lot with the argument scene between Dana and Charles in episode 10. It was so hard. I think because it was such a huge, that was a lot of emotion. That was one of the rare occasions that there is a lot of dialogue in a scene. And also there is like raised voices and shouting at a, to a, an extreme extent. And I don't think we'd really taken our characters there. Everything they've been feeling had sort of been snappy conversations or you'd have felt it, but it wouldn't have been properly expressed. And this is the first time that Charles has said, you know, I, I, it's Camilla who I want. I love Camilla. I don't love you. This is over, basically. And the way Josh does it in that scene is just... And I remember, I think... But we we really couldn't get through it. We tried so many takes and we just couldn't. One of us would stumble. One of us would be like, I'm so sorry, I'm just not in it or I can't do it. And so eventually I think Jess called it and said, look, let's just give them 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes alone just to like take time. And I remember just me, Josh and Jess sitting on a sofa just trying to figure out why we couldn't do it. And eventually I think letting go a bit and, and not stressing I think because we knew it was tumultuous and we knew that it was such a climactic moment there was a lot of pressure and I think actually we only did it once or twice when we finally got it together and I remember one of the times Josh just as you see in the series just screaming at me and it was just my expression which is basically just frozen is totally natural but like it's just me because I was so terrified <laughs> To hear someone scream like that at someone else is mad. Hmm. Yeah. It's my dog. Oh, who's Spencer. that? It's my dog. It's my puppy. Spencer, shush. It's so great. Puppy. It's so great talking to everybody at home because I've heard dogs and then babies crying. Oh. And, you know, you have, it's like a whole life. It's kind of, it, it oh. actually <laughs> enriches the interview because it feels so much more intimate. Um, oh, I know. Josh, he's incredible. I mean, just the whole cast, how divine Olivia Coleman and how divine Helena and Josh is so good. I mean, in your chemistry. Thank you. Yeah, it was an it was an amazing experience, incredible cast and our chemistry together collectively was was so brilliant and I think we're really lucky. But I remember when I joined the show, Collie came up to me and said, "This is the happiest job ever." She said, "You're going to have the best time." And I really did. Let's talk about I need to talk about the fashion and the fringe and the Diana's hair. You had to have been sitting in that chair for at least two hours every day becoming Diana. And what's interesting to me about actors, and in this 
in this in this series particularly with you particularly is that you embodied the emotional life but yet there was this whole other element where you mm-hmm. had to physically embody Diana and the scrutiny about the the way the hair went and obviously there's some fashion moments that are repli- you know replicating real life obviously the in Australia the blue dress the wedding dress you know certain things that are that are landmarks uh how was that process for you actually physically becoming Diana and putting on those clothes I really enjoyed both of those processes um really because they both kind of evolved in quite similar ways in that the clothes were mostly made for me and the initial fittings I went into, they were just pictures and then kind of just cuts of fabric that were pinned to me. And bit by bit, every time I went back for more fittings and more fittings, they would come to life around me. And then I would understand the story we were telling through what I saw evolve in the mirror, I suppose, in front of me. And it was sort of the same with the movement. I work with Polly Bennett, who's just a fantastic human and also movement coach and character coach as well I suppose she definitely became for me and um we Polly and I worked a lot on I suppose finding Diana's mannerisms and her behavior and her physicality from the inside out obviously we had footage of her we had so much so many photo photos and recordings and we knew her, we all know her like recognizable things, the head tilt, how she holds herself when she stands, how she waves and obviously all this we want to incorporate. But one of the things I know that a lot of the actors on The Crown always say is, you know, we we wanted to make sure we weren't mimicking and this, this wasn't going to be an impression. We were going to try and find our own portrayal of these people. And so for me, it was just really crucial from the beginning that anything I did use, like the head tilt or any kind of posture or affectation or mannerism was justified. So I understood why she was doing it. And that was really what Polly and I worked on was, was trying to find the reasons why she would hold her head in that way or move her shoulders like that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what has been some of the more surprising responses you've gotten from around the world? I mean, the whole Netflix effect of this series and, and, like I said earlier, being shot out of a cannon. I mean, you, you, you've you started where most people work 10 years to, to land. Yeah, it's, 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 it's been incredibly strange, also because it's been happening and I've sort of all from my living room and I haven't, it's still very strange. I was, yeah, I still, it hasn't quite clicked. As I know, some pe- a piece of work that I've done has come out, but I haven't felt tangibly or experienced properly the actual effects of that I think it would be different if we were, had done a press tour and we were going to events and seeing people face to face and chatting about the series but apart from my flatmates and some friends and my family it feels very removed it's very strange um yeah so yeah it, it, it's, it's weird but also I, I think that actually there is something to be said for it happening that way because I think the most important thing to me is always the piece of work. And this way, everyone has to focus on that and not what I'm wearing at a party, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, actually, it's quite nice. That's actually yeah. a really good point. You know, it it is we have been laser focused on the work and on the story. And especially it's so female, too, about, you know, our perceived 
you know, notions about, you know, being a woman, being that woman, oh, she's a princess, wouldn't you want to be, doesn't everybody want that? Like, we were all sold the fairy tale. Um, and when you see the, that emotional journey that she went on, and it, even the bulimia, I thought, was just handled so beautifully. You know, her, her, real, her real demons weren't exploited. Oh, I'm really glad you thought that was done well. Thank you. That means a lot. So I always end my interviews, and I think you're going to be really unique with this. I ask you to give our listeners a piece of advice, especially in the creative world, if they're trying to be an actor or writer or director or dancer or musician, something that is is uh, so arbitrary. Success is so arbitrary in these fields. And what's what's curious to me is that you didn't get into drama school. You didn't, your first shot at it, you didn't get what you wanted. And I'd love for you to talk about kind of um, what kept you going. You know, what what was your thinking at that point and, and what kind of advice do you have for, for for young people like yourself that are just starting out? I mean, I remember, yeah, when I was about, I think it must have been 17 and sitting on my bed and opening the letter from RADA that said you didn't get in. And I had come from a school that did a lot of theatre and I'd been in a lot of shows and naively I'd thought that I would get in because I'd got roles in plays before and I hadn't yet understood <laughs> the difference or that, like, obviously that didn't extend to the real world. And it was the best thing I think that could have happened to me. And not necessarily because I wouldn't have enjoyed drama school or it wouldn't have been a good experience, but I think it is so crucial to get beyond the fear of rejection and to just trust. I think you've got to have a lot of faith, an awful lot of faith. A lot of it, I think, is just running blindly forward towards something that you need to know you want 100%. That was the other thing. I never wanted to do anything else. I mean, I I went to uni in the end and I studied education, like children's teaching, and I enjoyed it and I loved what I learned. I didn't want to do it. I enjoyed writing a lot. I never wanted to do it as a career. I just, it was always and always had been acting. And I think it does require some kind of blind faith and determination. But also I think trust your gut. Like there were moments that I thought I don't like how am I ever going to make this work or I could just see this huge road ahead of me and I didn't know where to start or what was going to happen. I remember being in uni and sending emails and emails to agents to try and come and get them to come and watch my little show that I was doing at like in a town hall or something in a little studio, student written and, you know, thinking, please, can they come? And you'd get the email being like, sorry, I just don't have the time. Or they'd say they would come and they didn't. And you just have to keep going. And but I think keep creating and keep surrounding yourself with people who are also doing it. I think that really helped. Um, and just keep doing it in any way you can. I think keeping, like, trying to put on things with your friends or write things or I don't know um but really yeah determination is is a lot and also once you're if you get to the stage where you're auditioning for things something I really learned was to try and not take it personally 
everything does feel incredibly personal because obviously on some level you really feel it is if you get close to something and then don't get it or um something doesn't go your way and it really will just be because for that casting team on that project they're after something very specific and it doesn't mean you're not good and it's like it shouldn't be a knock to your confidence and it doesn't mean that you know they didn't like what you did or you didn't have good chemistry with the director or the other people in the room all of those things can be true and yet something wasn't right and I think you just got to learn from each thing and 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 keep going um yeah you said you wanted to be an actress always what was that moment when you were a child that you were like that is what I want to do I remember doing a play at my primary school and someone's mum coming up to me and saying that you should be an actor and me thinking oh yeah but I think it was more than that I think it was just a collective it was a collection of all of my interests I basically spent the majority of my childhood living in a fantasy world I would create worlds for myself through writing through building dens or going outside for days and end and living in a like things I'd build in woods and getting my brothers to play like fantasy worlds with me and that kind of thing. And I'd spent a lot of time reading. And I think it was an extension of that, that I enjoyed living in another world so much that then when it came to doing plays and stuff, that, that was an actual, it was, that was a way to really like, do that for real, I suppose. Um, but a way that was legitimized, I guess. And I think it was just a snowball effect from that, I suppose. I, I think it's like playing. <laughs> it's like playing for adults. You just get to like inhabit different characters and you learn a lot. And I, it was just like a natural accumulation of all my interests, I guess. Hmm. One of the things that's so interesting uh, too about The Crown that's so interesting to me is like now you pass the baton, right? So you and Josh are now out. Right. You spend all this time. It's it's incredible that continuity you're talking about playing. It's like different players moving out of these same characters is so interesting. Um, do you miss that? Was it hard to say goodbye? Yes and no. I felt ready to say goodbye. I felt like my journey was so succinct because it was like 16 to 28 and I found her at a very particular time and I left her at a very particular time. I actually do feel like it's weirdly bookended. Um, I... I'm obviously going to miss doing the show. I think it does help as well with ev- if everyone moves on because it just won't, wouldn't be the same if like one person stayed. And I do just think Elizabeth um, is going to do such a great job and I'm so excited to see um, her, her Diana. I think this is the wonderful thing about the series is you get to see a lot of different takes on, on the same character, which is um, brilliant. Mm. Well, Emma, you are so gifted. I cannot wait to see what you do next. And I know I'm sure there's I see that wince in your face. Uh, I'm sure there's pressures and all of that. But hold the line. Focus on the work and (laughs) um, you'll do amazing things. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining me. The Crown is streaming now on Netflix. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you've been listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. Join me next time for more meaningful conversations here at Present Company.